Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. Hopefully everybody's doing fantastic. Before we go any further, can we give our team an amazing, just, I mean, I'm telling you, this morning was amazing. And while you're in the mode of clapping, let's welcome in our Sherwood campus. Come on, big, and all online. It's amazing to me. There's 75, 100 people down there watching right now, so we want to welcome them in. It's a great time. We're in our series called To the Church, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time, but we talk about this all the time. We get a chance to worship together, and we get a chance to give together, and we get a a chance to learn together, and we've done the worship part, and if you're just visiting Journey, that's how we demonstrate to our God the thankfulness for everything he's done in our lives, and so maybe you've never been a part of an experience like this before. We want to say, hey, just kick back, enjoy yourself, get to know who we are. These are legitimate, I mean, longing to know Jesus more people. And we raise our hands and we clap because we love Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. That's why we do what we do. And so we're in this series to the church and I'm gonna dive right into it, okay? Can we do this? If you haven't been here uh, for any of them, go back to journeycommunity.net, go to our media page. You can go back and watch all the messages. But week one, we looked at the message of the church to the church of Ephesus. And it challenged a loveless church it was a church that left, first of all, they left God. They left the, the, you know, the covering of God and doing the things, but more so they left the, the first fruits or the first deeds they did. They stopped loving people. They stopped going out into the community. They stopped uh, evangelizing. They stopped missionary work. And so that was their big, you know, I have this thing against you. And the next church was the church of Smyrna. And it encouraged them as a persecuted church to remain faithful. Like don't, in, this, in, in, in the form of, And in our lives, there's times as believers, I'm finding it more and more. And listen, it's so much more than getting banned from Facebook, okay? Like everybody is a catastrophe. I got banned from Facebook. I don't care about Facebook. It's the fact that now they want me to say certain things from this stage. And if I say other things, then I'll be banned from society. That's what what we got to stay firm to, okay? And then so that was the church of Smyrna. The message to the church of Pergamon addressed two things. They were being persecuted but also reminded them not to compromise. Don't compromise your standard. Don't compromise your belief. And last week, we looked at the church of Thyatira, and we looked at how they just kind of not only compromised, but they started tolerating in their church the teachings of the prophet of Jezebel. And that prophet teaching was sexual immorality, and it was, it was food given to other gods and idols. It made me think last week, I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's a great book. It's Thriving in Babylon. It's by Larry Osborne. And there's another uh, book by um, Andy Stanley. It's called Choosing to Cheat. They actually take those moments of Daniel's life and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they break them down and talk about how in our society, and one of the things they did way back then is they chose not to cheat by eating things offered to the gods, and they were actually healthier. And at the end of the day, it was a witness to Nebuchadnezzar that God, the God of Israel, was actually the real God. So when we stand up for God and take a stand, I think when we do it in the right way, God honors that and his name is made famous in the world we live in, amen? Amen. And so this week is the church of Sardis. It's not Sardis, Georgia. I had somebody say to me this morning, I passed several Sardises this past week. Well, it's a name. And it's interesting to me that they named their church this because they were not a really great church. And it's amazing to me. If we look at Sardis, it's one of the oldest uh, and most important cities in Asia Minor. 
549 BC, I think it was, 549, it was the capital of Lydia. And it's interesting, there was a, actually a river that surrounded three sides of the city. So on three sides, they were protected against the enemy and they built this huge wall on the front so nobody can come through. But because of sleeping, because of not paying attention, soldiers were actually scaling the wall and coming into Sardis. And it's interesting to me because the very thing that John or Jesus accuses them of is not paying attention. And so here it's in the natural and it's in the spiritual that are not doing this. Sardis had already seen some hard times. Um, earthquakes were very common to this area. Two different earthquake, earthquakes actually destroyed the entire city and different kings actually rebuilt the city. So Sardis had already seen some hard times. John doesn't have much praise for him, right? He says, wake up, you're alive. Uh, you look like you're alive, but you're dead. So wake up and strengthen which remains. Now I wanna look at this passage. I wanna break it down. And there's a lot of truth in it. It's a big passage, but I only wanna take a look at like one or two lines today about being, and I'll give you, I'm gonna set the stage, a dead church or an alive church. Which one do you want to be, which one do you wanna be a part of? I wanna be a part of a live church. So today, instead of spending all our time talking about what a dead church does, we're gonna look at what a live church is, and I bet you by the end of today, you're gonna go, that's journey. That's why we've seen growth. That's why we've seen God. That's why we've seen the favor of the Lord. So Revelation chapter, I'm a little excited, can you tell? I mean, I, 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 that first song, like I almost ran. I almost went T.D. Jakes before it was even preaching time. Revelation chapter three, verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation, that's important, the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And then he says this, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and it is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Then he says, remember then, right? That's always when, it's always, you better pay attention if God says to remember. He said, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And it made me think, what was dead about this church? Do you know this is one of the few churches that didn't have a reprimand because they were listening to the teachings of the Nicolaitans or they were uh, becoming Gnostics or because they were teaching uh, the, what were the prophets of Baal? There was no theological problem with this church. As a matter of fact, what I have a feeling is, it's a church that looked good from the outside, but on the inside, there was death and decay. As a matter of fact, we see Jesus talks about this in the New Testament when he talks about the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside is clean, but we know there's nothing but dead bones inside. That's what we're probably seeing in this. So they had a form of godliness we read about in scripture, but they lacked the power. C.B. Card says it like this. This was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Think about that. Talk about a kick in the shins. Perfect model. Let me give you modern day terms because it's hard for us to understand 2,000 years ago what the church looked like. I'll, I'll give it to you in modern terms. Maybe, maybe if they were a church on Hardy McManus or maybe a church on Furious Ferry Road, they would have no parking lot problems. They, they, would, they, would, they would never have an issue with having to have a cop getting people out. Every week there was just three or four cars that pulled in. And then, and then if they ever had a visitor, they were told not to sit in certain seats because they were the certain seats of the saints. They were certain people that had to sit there. They've been sitting there for thousands of years or generations. That, that, they, 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 so they're saying that you're, you're like that. They had no noise of children. I walked through the, this morning, I had kids running up to me with costumes on and I love it. 
Okay, one walked up to me, Pastor Bob, you know who I am? And he had a, I couldn't tell, he had a mask on. And I'm thinking to myself, I love the sound of noise in our church. I love, hey, I was telling, I was telling, I was telling somebody on, I think it was Friday, um, about our student ministry. If you're a student ministry leader, raise your hand right now. Man, you guys are amazing, amazing. They said, why don't you have church on Wednesday? I said, because there's no room for us to have church on Wednesday. Because the students take this place over. They have 200 and something students here and 60 or 75 leaders. There is no room for adults in this place. Sardis didn't have that problem. Sardis didn't have that problem. Sardis didn't even have a youth group probably. Sardis was a church that didn't really want to welcome a new people. There was no life change or people. They didn't have baptisms. There was no need for a baptismal tank because they never had anybody having life change. You guys getting what I'm saying right now? Like this church was dead. They looked good on the outside. They had a nice building. They had nice chairs. They had nice carpet, but there was no life on the inside. Every time it was process over people. It was always process over people. They never changed the way that, they actually, their favorite phrase is, this is the way we've always done it. That was their favorite phrase. They had no money for missions or programs, but they had lots of money in their bank account. You're going, whoa, 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 whoa. So churches for thousands of years have done these things called designated funds. I'm gonna get myself in so much trouble today. I love it. They have these things called designated funds and people give millions of dollars to designated funds. We're gonna build this track over here or we're gonna have the new Bobby Smith building over here, but they don't have any ministry going and that money can't be spent for missions or kids or, 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 or chair. Actually, new one church had $2.3 million in their bank account and they needed chairs for children's ministry and they didn't have enough money because it was designated funds. Church is dead, dead, dead. They were more worried about hurting people's feelings. They never took a risk. They always played it safe. Now, there was a bunch of tippers and there was no givers. When that plight came by, it was a quarter. They never, they never sold out. They were never asked to be extravagant in their generosity. And God forbid, they were never asked to be sacrificial in their generosity. The, the, the church was dead. They were never dared to dream about the great dreams of God in the kingdom of, uh, of the kingdom of God. One of the things I love about our staff and I love about our leaders around this place, they are constantly challenging us to dream, to dream. And as a leader, I have to live somewhere between reality and revolutionary. This church was dead. Sardis was dead. It's the picture of a nominal, of nominal Christianity, outwardly prosperous, busy with externals of religious activity, but devoid of any spiritual life and power. Can I say that again? Because you need to write this down. This is important. It's a picture of nominal Christianity, outwardly prosperous, busy with the externals of religious activity, but devoid of spiritual life and power. Now, I don't know about you. I've been in the church world for about 30 years. And everything I just explained that Sardis was is becoming the modern church. Statistics show, show that church attendance has been on the decline for years. It's surprising to me, to be honest with you, because every indication is the society wants to know something about spiritual things. Honestly, there's over 80 million unchurched Americans today. That's about 33, 33% of American people don't go to church at all. 33, but 87% of American people say they believe in prayer. And 50% of those 80% pray every day. You know what I'm finding out, honestly? The numbers are telling millions and millions and millions of people are interested in God, but they're not interested in the church. I actually had a conversation with a young man. And I asked the question, 
And it's interesting to me, and I'll ask you this, why don't they go to church? Why don't people go to church? Well, I'm gonna give you the number one reason. They don't go to church because they've already been to church. And you know what the statistics show? The reasons they don't go to church? They say the services are boring. They say the messages are irrelevant. They say the people are unfriendly. They don't trust the leadership. And the last one shocked me. They don't go to church because they were never asked to go to church. That's our fault, y'all. The conversation with the young man that I had. And we live in a generation, honestly, that believes the church has nothing good to say. You can get on any social media and you can see that. And I talked to one young man, this is the exact words. He said, he said Bobby, it's not that we don't believe in God because we do, it's we don't believe in the church. We just don't believe in church anymore. And here's my thought. And maybe we can, maybe today we can kind of figure this out as a, as a faith community. I think there's a problem. And I think we're doing it wrong, not them. I think we spend most of our time judging the world and talking to ourselves when we should be judging ourselves and talking to the world. Did you hear me? We spend all our time judging the world and talking to ourselves when we should be judging ourselves and talking to the world. We have a message to the world to share. John 10, 10 says, I give you life and give you life to the fullest. We've been sharing the wrong message. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm passionate about this stuff. I made a promise to God 17 years ago that we were gonna leave the church in better condition to the next generation than it was left to our generation. And the way it's going right now, I'm not sure it's gonna happen. So I've done extensive studying and look, uh, looking at what the, the live church looks like. So what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at the live church, not the dead church. What do alive churches look like? Let me tell you the first thing. Alive churches have an indefinable something. Listen to me indefinable something. We see it in the very first church. Let me ask a question. When was church at its best? Don't say 10 years ago when North Point blew up, or don't say when, when Stephen Furtick started. It's none of those. It was 2,000 years ago when they were at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit moved in a brand new way that had never moved before. If you're a studier of Scripture, I would encourage you. I'm going to have a lot of meat in the next probably 25 minutes, a lot of meat you're gonna to wanna to go back and read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two because I can't cover it all in 20 or 25 minutes. But that was the opening day of church. You know, baseball season has opening day. Georgia has opening day. This was the opening day of the church. There was, there was banners flying, welcome. They had the t-shirts on, what can we do for you? They had life change matter stuff all over the place. It was a big day. And the Bible says that a couple hundred of them were in the upper room. And this is what happened in Acts chapter two, verse one. Read this with me. Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost arrived, okay, so this is the Feast of Pentecost, they were all together, and I'm telling you, this is one of the biggest problems. Please do not move from the scripture yet. They were in one place. We can't even, we can't even get in one place. We can't even get in one doctrine. We're arguing more internally than we are externally. We're more, we're, we're, we're worried about what the denomination down the road is doing than what Jesus is doing in our lives. They were in one place with one purpose, by the way. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty Russian wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it says, and they divided tongues, and, 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 and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Now, some of you are freaking out right now. Some of you are going, oh, I thought this was a Baptist church. It's a Baptocostal church. You're looking at a Baptocostal pastor. That's soon going to be all Pentecostal before it's too long, okay? And now, I've always wanted to do that, but I can't get away with it because I'm not big enough and whatever. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devout from every nation under heaven. And it says, then a sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, if that happened right now, there would be a little scratching of the head, wouldn't there? It's the indefinable something. There was something different going on here. It had never happened before. They were hearing each other, the Bible says, in their own languages. In verse seven, it says, and they were amazed and astonished. Amazed. They weren't afraid. Real moves of God do not scare people. They bring people in. Real moves of God bring people in. Are not all these men stupid Galileans? That's exactly what they were gonna say because they're uneducated. As a matter of fact, in a minute, they're gonna be called drunks, right? Because they all is, they're, they're, they're just drinking. And then verse eight, it says, and all, the only all we know in the church anymore is all. Oh. I actually preached at a church, it's been several years ago, and um, they had two services, nine o'clock and 11 o'clock, and I was speaking to both of them, and I walked out, and it was this group of guys, it was not a very big church, it was this group of guys, and they were on their smoke break, I guess, at church, Okay. I look at my watch. I say, hey, man, what time's the next service? And he goes, 11 o'clock. And I say, oh, it's, a, it's 10.59. He goes, oh, gosh, we got to go in there again. That's not the all I'm talking about. There was an all. They were watching God move like they've never watched God move. And they wanted to be in church. And they couldn't wait to get in church. And they couldn't wait for the first guy to stand up and like Will did this morning and go, we're calling ourselves to worship today. They were looking for that. They hated when the preacher got stopped preaching because they had to go home through their normal lives. There was a sense of awe in the church at that moment. And upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. Y'all catch that? In the 30-something years of me being involved in just the Jesus movement, I have been to these churches I have been to the churches where I walk in and there's something, it's, it's absolutely, under, you can't figure it out. There is just, there's something there. Yes. And it's big churches and small churches and Baptist churches and Methodist churches. And it's, it's every, every denomination. There's just this indefinable something. And the best churches, the great ones, have it from the moment you walk onto the property to the moment you leave. Yes. When I visit these churches, there's a couple things I see. I see there's a sense of anticipation. Hey, we want to be a great church in this city. We should have a sense of anticipation that we're going to church. The Bible says it like this. Don't forsake the, the assembly of the righteous. That means we should be here every week. We sh should be here. And when you're not here, oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. When you're not here, we're missing a gift at our church. When you're not here, we're missing your gift. Now, some of you have to work. I get it. Quit. No, just. <laughs> Here's the second thing. There, there was a sense of purpose. They knew why they were there. They, they, they knew that something substantial was about to happen. And also there was a sense of reverence. I get tired of going, 
going to churches where it's all about the preacher. It's all about the worship leader. It's all about how cool we look. And we, we pound our chest and we, we say a couple cool God words. And all of a sudden, nah, there's a sense of reverence. We're going to be in the presence of a holy God and we should act holy. Indefinable something. Here's what I'm finding out. It's really definable. It's not as indefinable as I used to think it is. Alive churches, this is why it's definable. Demonstrate the miraculous power of God in their church. It's not just about cool music. It's not about cool chairs. It's not about cool things we do. It's about the, the power of God. So Acts chapter one, verse four, let's go back to what the, the Holy Spirit spoke to him before Pentecost. This is really important. Acts chapter one, verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So they're all in one place. They're waiting for the promise, which he said, you have heard from me, okay? So it says this, for John baptized with water and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Stop, everybody stop, just stop because we have messed this all up in the church. You know what we're longing for? Give me tongues. Give me a little bit more of a demonstration. Give me a little bit more stuff that brings attention to me. That's not what he says here. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be a witness. Listen, I don't care what you believe right now as far as the tongue, that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is he wanted them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what he wanted. He didn't want us to have a holy huddle where we spoke in tongues. He wanted us to go out to the world and change the world and tell him about the amazing demonstration of God's power in their lives. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together, 120 of them, 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And you know what the, you know what the crowd said? This is amazing. You don't think that's what they said? Verse eight, can you go to verse eight? And how is that? That's what they're saying. How is this? This is amazing. This, this is amazing that we hear each of us in our own day. What? Huh? Do you notice there's nothing in there about angelic anything? They understood each other in their own language. The Tower of Babel separated everything. Pentecost brought everything back together. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. There was only one explanation of this. There's only one. It was the miraculous power of God. That was it. That was it. There's nothing else. It wasn't because the music was good or the preaching was good or it was a great building or we're a contemporary church or we're a traditional church. It was because the power of God showed up in that place. And it makes me think, honestly, how many times I have been asked the question, how is it possible? How is it possible you have so much joy when there's so much stuff going on in the world? It's the power of God. It's not that difficult. How, how, how is it possible that you have survived that tragedy? How, how, is it, how, how did you do it? It's the miraculous power of God. How is it possible that you've been blessed financially when all you make is a certain amount? but you give God 10% of it and some 20% and some more than that. It's the miraculous power of God. Yes. Don't, don't discount me on this. There's people that can gather people in the churches, but I'm telling you, nobody gathers like the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. Nobody does what the Holy Spirit does. How is it possible that your marriage is so strong after that tragedy that happened in it? Miraculous power of God. 
How is it possible that you can face sickness with such victory? The miraculous power of God. How is it possible that you can turn your life around when you were going this way and now you're going this way and God has given all the favor to you? It's the miraculous power of God. The answer to these questions is the same thing that happened back then. The power of God fell on them just like it wants to fall on us. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I wanna be that kind of church where people see the difference that God makes. That's it. They see the difference in your life and my life that God makes. So that's the first thing. Actually, second. Third thing is this. A live church is believing the transformational power of the gospel. I shared with, I think, a couple of the services last week. I had a conversation on the golf course with a guy, and he said the problem with a lot of Contemporary churches, they don't use scripture. Not this one. Listen, my words are my words, God's words. God's words are God's words. And he, and hear me on this. They haven't changed and they still have power in them. And there's still power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what changes people's lives. Alive churches help people, hear me on this, to make a connection between the meaning of life's events and the scriptures. So whatever's going on in our world, we make this parallel and we can take people, we should be, alive churches are taking people back to the power of the gospel, the power of God's word. Listen to verse 13. This is exactly what happens here. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. They were drunk. But Peter said, the problem with that, he said, standing with the 11, I, I lifted up his voice and addressed them. He said, men of Judah, all dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known that, that, that give ear to my words. And he says, verse 15, he says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only like nine o'clock or so. And, you know, it's, it's like the day just started. They haven't even started drinking. They may be later, but they haven't started drinking yet. Right? But this is what, watch this. But this is what's uttered. He draws, he takes society to scripture. One of the things that I've heard years and years and years ago, that a lot of problems with the modern church is this. We want to take the scripture, or we want to take people to the scripture instead of the scripture to people. And I think we're better off always taking scripture to people. We're always saying, this is what the scripture says. We have to, as people, have to conform to whatever scripture says. So he takes them back and he said, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit. So thousands of years before this moment, he is telling them that this was spoken about, that the prophet Joel spoke about this that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, dream dreams. And, and this will happen. And I love the way he brings this all in about. And then he says in verse 17, he goes down and he says, in the last, he said, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God. Can you go back to 17? 17. And he says, in the last days, there should be declared that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want you to know this, all flesh your sons and daughters. He didn't say before or this is it. He is actually taking that to the end. He's taking it to all the way right now. He's saying that this will happen in your place. And then he says in verse 22, he goes, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. He said, listen, you have seen it. You've heard about it. In verse 23, he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you crucified and killed him by his hands. Now, all of a sudden, he took him. Watch. I don't know if y'all are following this. Y'all got this? He said, these things are going to happen. Joel talked about it. And the Jesus that you just killed was the one that he talked about. He's taking the Holy Scriptures and he's going, society, you've got to adapt. You've got to figure this thing out. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. And then in verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, he connected the truth of Scripture to the truth about Jesus and explained to them what it meant. And alive churches do that today. We take scripture, and just let's be honest, some scripture is hard to understand. Book of Revelation. Some scriptures is boring. Book of Numbers. Give me an Exodus, love it. Give me a Numbers, not so much. A church is just hear me on this. A church that preaches the word builds disciples with staying power in Christianity. I have seen all kinds of people. It's, you can ask anybody on my staff. I do this just about every Monday. I go, have you seen this person? Have you seen this person? Have you this, this person? And sometimes it's, it's the bad news. Sometimes it's, well, they left church. Did they leave journey? No, they just left church. And then there's people that have been around this place or around God for all their life. And you go, they have had so many things happen to them. What are they still doing around? And it's the, staying, it's the staying power of the gospel. When we learn it, when we read it, when we believe it, we have staying power. And when we just kind of casually go through it on a Sunday, and that's the only time, then there's struggles. The difference is the one that stayed got rooted in the word. I love the way 2 Timothy says it. It's one of my favorite passages. It says this, all scripture, not just some, not the ones you like, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why God gives us his word. And when we attach to it, it changes our lives. Let me give you the third thing. We're gonna close in a couple seconds. Alive churches help people walk in their faith journey. Do y'all hear me on this? They help people walk in their faith journey. Verse 37, it says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I would love for every sermon that I've ever preached, people walk up to me and go, okay, now what do you want me to do? What, what, what's the plan? You gave me the truth. You, you, challenged, you challenged me. Now, now what, what are we supposed to do? And it's funny because they asked that question. And I don't know how much we know about church history, but this is where church at its best is about to happen. We've never seen it any better than this moment. Even today, I'm telling you, even today, there's gonna be people walking out of this room going, okay, Pastor Bobby, what shall we do? I'm gonna tell you in a minute. What, what, what. But this is, what, this is what Peter said to him. This is what happened because of verse 38. It says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, okay? Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, okay, the first thing, get to know Jesus, right? We're good on that one? All right, get to know Jesus. Then he said in the next verse, he says, for the promises for you and your children and all for afar off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, okay? So he's like, okay, this is, what we, this is what I want you to do. And then he says, I'm gonna take it a step further because that's where most people stop right there. 
They walk down an aisle. They fill out a card. I'm a Jesus person now. But this little Peter says in verse 42, he says, and they devoted themselves. What row? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 43. And all, there's that word again, and all came across them. Every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all, all things in common. And they were selling, to, watch this, like, don't any, like you, you say amen, you better be careful. When I get up here and say, let's tithe, let's, let's, let's be glad I don't pull this one out. Right, because it says, and they were selling their possessions. Some passages say all their possessions and belongings and uh, distributing the proceeds to all as anybody had need. They were they were being the church and day by day attending to the temple together or attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day, those who were being saved. This is the greatest church growth plan ever created in the course of history. Yes. Teach the, the apostles teaching, break bread with people, take care of people's needs. That's what they were doing. That's what they were told to do. And so if they came to Peter going, so what shall we do? We have to ask the same question, don't we? Yes. So what, what do we do? What, 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 what are we supposed to do? Colossians 4, 5. Let me, let me read this real quick. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of what? Every opportunity. It doesn't say be, be wise on the inside and be cunning and don't let anybody sit in your chair. It says be wise on how we act toward outsiders people that don't know the faith. I think there's three things. I think there's three things that as a church, we must do. And I want you to write these down. We must design uplifting experiences that help people connect with Christ in everything we do. In children's ministry, I was high-fiving Megan this past week. I thought, wow, there was critiques out there and people going, they're coming up in Halloween. I thought it was the coolest thing that kids were gonna come here with their costumes on. And I saw Facebook things going crazy. You know what that did? It took the walls down so they can preach Jesus to little kids. Upstairs right now, they're acting ridiculous. <laughs> we, need, we need to and continue and up the ante. Hey, how about here? on Sunday mornings. We, may, we need to make this place attractional. We need to make it deep and wide. We need to make it a place where it can't be boring because the world is tired of boring, yes. right? It can't be normal. Normal's not working. Normal's a setting on a dryer, yes. <laughs> right? We can't be normal. We have to design uplifting service in every place we do. We have to design... Uplifting things. And I'm telling you, we AAR, I don't know if you know what AAR is, after action review. We AAR everything because we want it to be the best it could possibly be. Let me tell you why. Your friends, your lost friends matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us. Here's the second thing. And you're going to go, Pastor Bobby, this is so, like, we know this. No, you don't. If we knew this and we really got this, there would not be a chair left in this room that nobody was, that every chair would be filled. We have to continue to proclaim the message of hope. 
Not the message of church. Unfortunately, not the message that the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be the national champions this year. Or the Braves are going to be, be, win the World Series tonight. Okay. I believe in all those things. I'm speaking them. I'm speaking them. But that's not our message, y'all. Can you hear me? That's not our message. It's that Christ crucified. Jesus Christ went to the cross and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We're all lost and saved by grace. And the world needs to stop hearing all the things that we're against as churches and start hearing all the things we're for. I'm gonna challenge us as a church, y'all. I set it up front. We spend a lot of time judging the world and talking to ourselves. I'm gonna challenge our church to spend some time judging ourselves and talking to the world. Let's get our junk right so we can share Jesus in the world we live in with your coworkers, your friends. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I think that's what's great. There's this, there's this miracle of grace that people see when we're not perfect. When we know that, when, when people in the world know that we're not perfect. I, I love starting out. People say it all the time. I had it this past Friday. Pastor Bobby, I'm, I'm Bobby, okay? I'm Bobby. I'm a guy just like you. I struggle, I have problems. But I found the message of hope. And the third thing is, we must make, and I would, I would say every effort, the effort to connect individually with people. Every week we tell people to go to next steps. Every week I have a line of people. But you wanna know something? I get paid to do it. Lots of the staff around this place, we get paid to connect to people. But you know when it works best? So in 1988, I moved down from New Jersey at 24 years old. My dad felt a call to start a church and be a part of a church planning team in Groveton. So we moved down here. And when we moved down here, things were going good for the first couple of years. And then it just kind of went south and we had to leave the church. So the church that we came down to start that we had blood, sweat and tears in, we're now leaving. Well, for a little while, I didn't want to go to church. Church people hurt me, by the way. Can I just say that? Am I allowed to say that? I still love Jesus. I still read, the, I, I still read his word, but I didn't want to be around you. you. You were the problem, just to be quiet. Not you, but you. But I went to the first church. So finally, I think my wife, they were going to try this church out. Okay. And we get there, and the only person that talks to me couple hundred people. The only person that talks to me is the pastor. We go to another church and the only person that talks to me is the worship leader. We go to another church. The only person that talks to me was their paid recreation department because I was tall and they needed somebody for volleyball, I think. And the last church I visited, nobody said a word to me. And I realized something. The only people that were talking to me were people paid to talk to me. Nobody else was talking to me. That the people, the church, really didn't care about the church. We can't let that happen here. We can't let that happen here. There's too much on the line, y'all. Eternity for some people is weighing in the balance and whether they know Jesus or not may be left on us.
I want to be. I think we are. And a live church. But I think we can get better. We don't want to be like Sardis. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. I don't care what we look like on the outside. I want to be alive on the inside. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am, I am passionate about this. I, I want... I want Journey to be a church that you're proud of. Not about us, not about putting preacher talk on when we get up on stage, not about acting like one thing and being another, that God, the same person, just personally, the same person on this stage is the same person that's playing golf or fishing or hunting or walking around the street. Just I'm the same person, that there's no difference. That I'm not trying to demonstrate that I'm more alive because of my position. I'm alive because of your position in my life. That's what I'm alive. God, I pray that we would somehow or another, God, catch what you're doing. That the world out there is looking for something and we have the answer. God, I'm going to ask a challenging prayer of myself and I'm hoping there's other people in this room going to ask the same thing. God, would you put me in positions where I have to talk to people about you? Not just in my workplace, not just in my office, but when I go, when I go to lunch, when I'm at the gas station, when I'm at Home Depot, and if I'm out sports uh, academy, wherever I go, everywhere I go, would you give me opportunities to share that dangerous message of Jesus and how it changed my life and how it can change their lives? That I would be talking to the world and keeping myself in jail. God, pray that we would be known as a church that's alive. And everyone in this room said, amen. amen. So be it. So be it. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.